Welcome into the Think Deeper podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Wilkie, as always, joined by Will Harab and Joe Wilkie. Uh, excited to get to this week's episode. We're recording here on Valentine's Day. So, all right, guys, uh, now we're on the hot seat. What are you doing for your wife for Valentine's Day? And and if you're listening, you're getting this the day after. And, and so if it just hit you, you're in really big trouble. So Hopefully it's not too late. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> go buy the, the discounted flowers and chocolates today. Chocolates are cheap, man. Yeah. yeah. Chocolates are cheap. You can tell her I well, waited uh, so I could get you more. Right, right. Exactly. Um, well, I, I've tried to beat the weekend crowd, although I guess technically Monday is not a weekend day. But I took my wife out. We went to dinner Thursday night. Pretty nice restaurant. Got uh, got some steaks. Got some good dessert. Best dessert I've ever tasted. Um, for anybody that's interested, Bananas Foster. Go try it. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we got uh, got my uh, mom to watch our, our two month old son, and so we got some just quality one on one time out to eat. So it's pretty cool. We we try not to do gifts for each other or anything like that on Valentine's Day because our anniversary is like in three weeks. So uh-huh. it would it would be tough on the bank account to do those back to back. But Fair uh, had a good dinner. Had a good dinner. So just gonna chill tonight for Valentine's Day. And these jerks send us pictures of the dinner. Like, hey, yeah, it's quite good. And it's like, <laughs> it was oh, quite good. Goodness, that looks incredible. And um, yeah, my wife got to see that picture. It's like, that's as close to steak dinner as you're going to get. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Ow. Uh, just, just kidding. Just kidding. So, Joe, yeah. what did you do for Valentine's Day? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had actually planned. Uh, we just got back from Disney World. So um, that's what's up, fellas. No. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So we did two days Disney World. My parents came in, watched the kids. That was kind of our... I plan it purposely around Valentine's Day for two reasons. First off, no kids are in school and it should have been low lines and everything. That was not the case. Um, and second, it was close to Valentine's Day. So I figured we'll do something nice there. And we had a nice, we went to be our guest or whatever it's called, you know, one of the nice dinners there or whatever. So that was kind of it. Um, and then I don't think we're doing anything tonight. So we'll, uh, we'll, yeah, I guess I'll, Tell her I love her today, and that'll be her gift. Order right. a heart-shaped pizza or something. Yeah, there you go. There yeah. you go. So, Jack, um, how about you? Allison and I alternate years of making each other a, a fancy uh, dinner, and so this is her year. Um, so I get to sit back and enjoy a nice dinner. Um, Must be nice. Do you then know? I get to spend the rest of the day on the phone with an exterminator trying to get mice out of our attic. So, happy Oof. Valentine's Day to us. <laughs> if you can catch a few, just throw them on as side items to the. Yeah, garnishes, rotisserie. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Um, Do you know what she's gonna make ahead of time? No, or is no, we give it a surprise. Yeah. Oh, so I like fun. it. Yeah, nice. So, all right. Before we get into this week's episode, and Happy Valentine's Day, belated, I guess, to everyone out there. Again, hope you you did something nice. If uh, for those who are married or are in a relationship. Before we get to our episode, though, we have our book giveaway that we put into last week's podcast. I uh, really appreciate everyone that sent in emails, reached out. We've got your names here. And I am going to click randomize on this list online to draw the name. Here we go. Our winner is Kevin. All right. Uh, my man, Kevin. Uh, Congrats, Kevin. Real good brother down in Florida. Uh, he's, did he he's, uh, Did he say Joe is his favorite? From... He did. He did. Oh. So, mm-hmm. yeah. My man. Yeah, now Joe has to buy him a <laughs> right. book, too. So, no. <laughs> What's Lucky the cheapest guy gets one? Two books. What's the cheapest one in the store? Yeah, yeah exactly. Sorry, sorry um, Kevin. Yeah, so, uh, Kevin, uh, appreciate you uh, emailing in. Always uh, appreciate you listening as well. And, and everybody that participated, um, 
this week's episode, uh, I think we might sneak a book giveaway in here as well. So keep listening. You'll have another chance to, to win a different book. But uh, yeah, appreciate everyone that emailed in, everyone that's listening, and um, congratulations to Kevin. Okay. Real quick for you two oh, yeah. Denver fans, congrats to Vaughn Miller on that Super Bowl win last night. That's that was, right. That was a good game. That's, that's, good that's game. true. That was great. Uh, we'll we'll kind of count it as a, a half Super Bowl for Denver since we were all behind. Yeah, him, yeah. So. There you go. go. All right. For this week's topic, we're going to build heavily on on our last episode. If you haven't listened to it, uh, I highly encourage you to go do so. It's our, our previous one on uh, biblical theology of death. You don't have to have it to understand this, but they are closely connected because what we've seen over the last two years is, is kind of our main thesis for this topic is as Christians dealing with the world of COVID and the, the one thing that is at the forefront of that is death and our understanding of death and, and how we've handled it and responded and all of those things comes back to what we believe about death, how, how we believe we're supposed to approach it. And so uh, let's, let's just recap, recap that quickly. Just take a couple minutes to go back over that and, and establish kind of the, the main points we came out of last week with. So last week we talked mainly about how death is, we're very scared of death, right? And, and that as Christians really isn't something that we should be um, fearful of. We know that we are held in God's hand. It can be a fearful thing, but I think sometimes we can look like the rest of the world and being uh, just freaked out about that, that kind of the unknown, right? And the thing is, as Christians, it's not unknown or it shouldn't be unknown to us. And sometimes it is because of, of, I liked what you had said last week. Sometimes it's we swung the pendulum from once saved, always saved to once saved, barely saved. And so we don't always have a proper theology of death, a, a proper understanding of, Hey, we are saved. We're in God's hand. We've run the race and, and, you know, to, to live as Christ, but to die is gain because we know where we're going. So um, that's really what stood out to me, which I, I, that was kind of the main point of all of it, but uh, will anything that you would add, no, that that's um, go. You summed it up pretty well. I think that just the general consensus is that the peace that we are, you know, we should have through the salvation that we've been given by the grace of God. A lot of Christians don't have it. And of course it, it makes sense that, you know, if you don't have peace regarding your salvation, if you don't have peace regarding your you know eternal fate, you probably are going to fear death a little bit. And so that, that was kind of the main point. We did hit some other stuff. Jack, did you have anything to throw, throw yeah. out? Throw, uh, throw I think out? the, uh, Paul Philippians one section is is so crucial to our understanding of it. And so to recap that, we, we spent some time on that last week. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Paul says, it's better for me if I go, but it's also good for you. And, and it's good to stay here and work with you. And so as Christians, that should be our governing principle. Not that we want to die and, and run headlong into heaven and, and throw all caution to the wind, but also not operating in, in a fear of, I have to be here. I have to keep you know these plates spinning and and really, we, we got into this a little bit at the end, and I think it really puts us into this week's topic, the James 4 discussion about your life being a vapor. And you don't know what tomorrow is. And so as we talk about COVID, and as we get into what we're going to discuss today, we're, we're, we want to lay out, we do not care to debate masks. We do not care to debate vaccines. We do not care to get into should Christians this, should Christians do that. It's been done to death. We're not going to add to that discussion. We're going to look. At, we're not going to get into risk levels and any of those things. We're we're really specifically looking for, as a church, uh, from the the biblical perspective, as Christians, 
what should we do? Because I think it would be a, a tremendous mistake to go through this two years of upheaval that we could not have prepared ourselves for and not look back and go, what did we learn? What did we do well? What yep. did we do wrong? What what could we improve on? Right. And and that's the point with us coming up here very shortly on the two year you know anniversary, you might say, of the shutdown. I remember very vividly, you know, where I was. It, you know, it's one of those things where you kind of remember what you were doing, where you were when you were reading about, you know, all the sports leagues shutting down. I was you know, the, in the, the arena for a basketball game. Yeah, your story is by far the coolest. It that was so weird, man. The buzz. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. Well, we're, but we're co- we're coming up on the two year anniversary of that, and I to to echo what you said, Jack. I think it would for anybody who is again seeking for seeking improvement, anybody who is trying to you know better themselves physically or spiritually, it is a, the perfect time to look back and say, where have we gone wrong? What have we done right? Sure, let, let's ask those questions as well. But what lessons have we learned? What should we be doing better now that again we're we're about to hit the two year mark as it come when it comes to the Lord's Church. And it's not that to to, to clarify, like what Jack is talking about, I feel like Christians have specifically honed in on and and when we're trying to get people back to church, well, let's just look at the stats. Well, let's just look at at the science of it. And the issue is those two things debate each other, right? Like you can pull out your set of facts or or stats. I can pull out my set of facts or stats. Um, And then we just end up beating each other over the head with those type of things. And so I feel like when you see it on Facebook, so often it's Christians going back and forth on the political side of things, on the statistical side of things, on whether masks are valid or not. And as far as it goes with the church's take on it or, or Christians take on it, those things really shouldn't matter. And this is where we get into the theology of death is like, statistically, it doesn't matter that much whether we are, are we willing to die for our faith? Are we willing to die for the sake of, of the church, right? And making sure that the the unity, and we're going to get into that more, but the unity and everything else that comes along with Christianity, comes along with the church is preserved. And if that matters to you, the stats really don't matter that much. Right, right. So we're going to do a little bit of different format this week than we usually do. Uh, I asked you guys to come up with a list of three. I came up with three myself. And so we're going to compare and contrast. Uh, I'm sure we're going to have points that that overlap. And so we can jump in on those together. Three things that you have learned or seen or observed over the last two years. Because it's very easy to say when it it all hit two years ago, that night, that week that Will was talking about as as the world started to shut down and uh, everything changed. There, there was only so much we could do. I mean, everybody was scrambling. Everybody was sent, you know, running around going, what do we do with this? And two right. weeks to stop the spread. And, and you look back and think, man, I know that was to, to keep hospitalizations around, but viruses don't <laughs> do that in two weeks, you know? And, and so with the hindsight... Right, but nobody... Go ahead. Yeah, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but nobody knew, you know, what to expect. Nobody knew what the next two weeks were going to hold. And so there were a lot of decisions that were made. There, there was a lot of just, just utter speculation and again, now that we're two years in review, you know, it, it's going to be a good thing for us to sit back and, and ask, what have we learned as individuals, but more importantly, as the church? Go ahead, Joe. And that's where grace comes in, right? We do have to give ourselves grace from the beginning of, we're going to talk about some things today of how we could handle it. As you talked about hindsight's 2020, we should give ourselves grace. The world had never seen 
anything specifically like this and, and specifically with the times and, and the way that it's spread fast, there's been pandemics in the past, but this was just really unlike anything that anybody alive was prepared to as, handle. As somebody, as somebody who did not, does not remember nine 11, this is the biggest historical event of my lifetime that I that's, remember. I was alive. still blows my mind. And, I don't and remember it. Hopefully it mind. is the biggest. Hopefully we don't, don't have something yeah, yeah. That, that is on the level of those things. Yeah. But so let's, let's get into our three, three things that you learned or have, have seen or, or things you would do differently, what, however you want to phrase it. Um, Will, why don't you go ahead and start us with number one on your list? So the first thing that, that I put down um, has, to do, has to do with live stream worship. Um, I got COVID in the middle of 2021. And as a result, I was forced to live stream worship for a total of two Sundays during that. I think I had to quarantine for another one. So three or four Sundays last year. I had to uh, live stream worship. And, you know, one of the things that it, it, I certainly learned and, you know, got to experience firsthand is that worship, th- there's so much more to worship than simply what you might call the, the acts of worship. And that sounds kind of basic. That sounds what we'll, we'll do, of course, but you don't really consider the other, again, the other more central, more essential components of worship. You know, you, you, in the church of Christ, we get into this tendency of let, let's check off our list. Let's check off our five steps of salvation. Let's, let's check off our five acts of worship. Do we have singing prayer, Lord's supper contribution? There's so much more to worship uh, than that, right? You know, you look at, and we're going to hit obviously Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we're going to hit some other verses later on, but what is one of the uh, essential reasons that God has called us to assemble together, assemble to worship. Obviously, worship in and of itself is, is for God and for God alone, is it not? But what's another reason or what's another purpose, I should say, for it? It's to, to edify one another, right? To, to stir up love and good works, to exhort. Jack, you, you've talked quite a bit about the one another commands. Those are things you can't uh, adequately fulfill live streaming. You, you just can't. There, there's no, no other way to put it. And so I, I appreciate live stream very much. I appreciate the effort that the church that I grew up in, they've been doing live stream for 10 years, you know, and nobody really thought anything of it. It was for those that might've been traveling. It was for the, the shut in that couldn't watch. Nobody thought anything of it. Now it's a huge topic of debate. And again, I appreciate the effort. I appreciate the intent behind it, but just as with anything else can, it has, it has rather gone off the rails um, because we, we view it as something that is an adequate replacement for worship. And again, speaking from experience here, as somebody who live streamed three, four Sundays last year, it's not an adequate replacement for worship. What do you guys have to, to add to that? Oh, well, I, I, you hit the nail on the head. I think it's become a crutch for a lot of people. It was good, as you talked about, for a time. We go back to the beginning. Uh, our church did it for... The church in um, outside Denver in Wheat Ridge that uh, I attended before I moved to Tennessee, we got back in the building very, very quickly. Um, but at the same time, there was a few Sundays. And for the first couple, it's like almost exciting for a new format of how, how can we do it? Can we sing a few more songs? Can we do things like that? And sure. what I realized is, no, nobody wanted to do it. It was kind of get off, get on and get off fairly quickly. We didn't use it as an opportunity to do anything different. Um it, to me, it seemed like it made worship more of a formality. Well, we need to do it for those that want to get on. Let's just figure out a way to do it. Yeah. Figure out a way to do it, and then we'll get off fast. And so the sermons were more like devos, and we'd sing four songs, and maybe we had one prayer. And it just so even when we did it, and I know there's others that do it really well or may do it big. That's not really the point. The point is there was a time where that was necessary, and that time should have ended a long time ago. 
is, is my thoughts on it. It became a crutch for too many people. Of, well, it's nice to have worship online. You're absolutely right. How much do we miss in, well, we certainly don't take Hebrews 10 seriously, but how much are we missing um, just an edification and the ability to build up others uh, and, and to edify others in that? See, I'm going to disagree let you... a little bit. Go ahead. Where you say it was necessary for a time. Again, with the hindsight thing, it's it's all perfectly clear, and so we just didn't know what it was going to be. And so a week or two off, uh, that makes sense. I don't think it was it was a necessary thing for that long. I think the message should have been pretty I would quickly. agree. And, and I wrote uh, on focuspress.org, uh, <laughs> I wrote when it all started, no, we're not forsaking the assembly, and, you know, as Christians, it, it, it's okay to do this. And then I wrote a year into it, so it basically a year ago from now, I was I was just totally wrong. We we all did not see it coming that it was going to play out the way that it did. But had we known, had the the trade off been, you are not going to get in a building together or you're not going to gather together with your church family for months. I don't think most churches would have taken that when it was presented to us as two weeks, and we said, okay, well we can do that, and then it kept going and going and going and going, and and then what do you do at that point? And so. With hindsight, if we went back and we knew from then, hey, we're not going to be coming back together for months, I, I really think we probably would have handled that differently. So one of the things I wanted to point out to Will's point here, we learned a lot of new vocabulary through COVID, right? I mean, just all of the terminology, all the, the Social phrases. distancing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, abundance of caution and uh, just all of those things. Well, one of those that, that kind of gets forgotten now, but it was one of the key buzzwords for the first few months was essential workers, right? Mm, Essential workers were people that had to go into their job, that couldn't work from home, that had to go in. And you think about how churches were set up, it perfectly illustrated the points I Mm -hmm. make in in Church Reset of the customer, the consumer, provider relationship, right? Because preachers were going into the church building, AV guys were going in to set up the the live stream. They were the essential essential workers. workers. Right, they were the three to five guys. That's the essential workers you need for worship. Everybody else isn't essential. They can turn on the computer or they can't. And so you're not essential to the work of the church. You're not essential to the assembly of the church. That's a bad setup. The other side of that being McDonald's teenagers putting fries in the fryer were essential, but you coming together to worship with God, communicate, commune with your fellow Christians, encourage one another, build one another up, were not essential. Right. I don't think we thought through those implications at the time. No. Right. I mean, you have you have... You know, like you said, you got clerks at, at Walmart that are stocking shelves, and that's essential. But you know, it, it it trained us to to kind of view assembling together as as not essential. That's that's a that's a perfect point, and that's why I was getting at the this the live stream worship again. The intent might have been good, but when it comes to here, we are two years after, and and I don't envy elders. Um, I, I appreciate everybody who's serving as an elder all over the the United States. I certainly appreciate my elders at, at my home congregation. But they're in a tough spot here because, as Joe said, and, and Joe, I'll kick it to you here in just a second. There are so many who, and I don't even think this is debatable, who are using it as a crutch, who are using it as a, well, I, I just really enjoy, you know, rolling out of bed 10 minutes before, you know, maybe, you know, worshiping at PJs. Yeah, holding my coffee on my comfortable couch. And they're using it as a crutch. We Joe, had, what, were you, what did you have? Oh, no, just no, go on for that it. point, using the crutch. We set up parking lot was our next phase after a live stream for a little bit. Sure. And so you could come, you could sit in your car, keep your windows rolled up, hear it through the speakers and go home. And at that point, when people said, oh, I don't want to come out because it's not safe, it's contactless. It's showing right up now. in your car. And, and, and so it's like at that point, it's like, OK, the, the, this is not about safety at this point. Right. This is convenience. 
Well, I'm just going to come right out and say it. If you're still worshiping live stream because of COVID, get back to church. Get back in your congregation. Yeah, that's that may be mean. Oh, there's risk. Yes, there's risk. There's risk to everything. You know what? There was a lot of risk to Paul when he is getting stoned and beaten. Like there was a lot of risk to this. That's the whole point of Christianity is we're not averse to risk because we know who holds well, the world in his hand. When I go back to Acts chapter eight, when when Saul, before he becomes Paul, is, is persecuting the church, we read about the intense persecution. Uh, the apostles stay at Jerusalem, but what does it say the disciples do in verse four? They scatter, but it doesn't say they go scatter and hide in their houses. What do they do? Right. They go. They, they the verse four says that they they were scattered abroad preaching the word. They mm-hmm. didn't go hide. They didn't go sit on their couch. They didn't go you know get under their covers and not come out. In a time of intense persecution, in a time of intense risk for the early Christians, what did they do? Like, you know, we're going to keep, we're going to spread the gospel. We're going to keep spreading. Sure, we're running for our lives. Sure, we're dealing with risk every single day, far more risk than we're dealing with. But we're going to keep preaching. We're going to keep spreading the word. This also goes to the James 4 discussion of where he talks about you're making these plans a year from now, such and such, we're going to do this. When we get back to normal, when COVID is over, when when it's safe to come out, what does James call that? Boasting in your arrogance. Mm. You don't know that you're going to have tomorrow. And so this idea that we as as Christians kind of accepted of, we'll put off worship, we'll put off the work of the Lord, we'll put off encouragement and fellowship and all those things until it's safe, until it's okay. You're boasting in your arrogance. And how many people have died along the way who weren't even in the church building. And so that that theology of death we talked about last week plays heavily into our view of live stream and, and associating with each other. So how many, before we move... Oh, go for it. Go for it. I was just going to say, how many souls did we miss out on evangelizing? Because we were, mm. you know, like you said, Jack, right. boasting in our arrogance about, well, we're going to have the future. You know, we're, we're going to have... Let's just wait for it to die down. I, I'm still hearing that phrase. Yeah. We just got to wait for COVID to die down. It's crazy that we're still even hearing that phrase. But how many souls did we miss out on evangelizing? How many... How many souls did we miss out on, you know, obeying the gospel because, you know, we were too busy making sure that, you know, we were staying in our homes and and avoiding these, these type of things. It's a very scary thought when you consider that that, that James 4 passage is was and is very applicable to us today in the sense that, you know, we're still banking on the next few months whenever it dies down. And yet we could very well be missing out on all these opportunities. And can I also just say coming from a mental health perspective, isolation and loneliness is horrible. That pushes people into addiction and depression and anxiety faster than anything else. And when we stay home from our church family, who is intended to edify and we're intended to also give them something um, that can push us into all sorts. So here's the other point that I would make is if you're live streaming worship, but you're going out to eat after. No, right. If you can't make it to church because you're afraid you better not ever go to Olive Garden. You better not ever go to the library. You better not ever go anywhere with anybody else because if you're forsaking the assembly so as to stay safe, but you're still going to work, you're still doing everything else, it shows where your priorities are. And that's to me, that's James 4. A big part of that is what are your priorities, right? What is your life is super short, meaning make sure your priorities are in the right place. But before we leave your point, I wanted to ask, what are your guys' thoughts on should churches continue with live streams, because to your point, well, yes, there are some shut-ins. There are people like that. Um, I know who you're talking. Southern Hills has been, you know, using this, utilizing this, and I think for the good for a long time. But yeah. what are your guys' thoughts? Do you think that us as churches keeping that around has, obviously, as we talked about, been a crutch? Do you think it would be better to just remove that completely, or to keep it for the shut-ins and such? 
Jack, I'll let you start because I, I have wrestled with this for the probably the last six months. But so I, I definitely have some thoughts on it. But why don't you go ahead? I think long term, no. Right now, we still have it. We've had a, a number of Omicron cases or people you know exposed, staying home. And so, you know, and then in that sense, if you're sick for a week or two, you should stay home. I mean, there are times and we're going to get into that in one of my points. But and so we have it available for them. We don't have many people watching, but there are some people that need to be encouraged. Go ahead and get off. And, and I, I really do hope at some point it's not a forever thing. My answer, Joe, is no. Um, and again, I, I do not envy the uh, burden that has been placed on elders in the last two years. Again, and let me just say that again. Uh, I, I appreciate the, the effort. I appreciate that these decisions are very, very difficult. But I, I, it comes down to me or it comes down for me to two things. Number one, what did we ever do before live stream? You know what I mean? Uh, if, if, if this is something that, well, we absolutely have to have it. Well, does that mean that, you know, before we even had live stream that, that the, the worship or the, whatever the options that people did before live stream came about weren't valid. The other thing that I would come, that it comes down to is at the end of the day, by offering live stream services after COVID, it is doing more to enable those to forsake the assembly. Yep. It's doing more harm than good would, would be my, my position on it. And I know that's controversial and, and you might disagree with me and that's fine, but the, just the pure fact that, it, that it's enabling folks to, again, I'm going to go out to eat. I'm going to stay, I'm going to keep going to work, but I, I probably better stay home because, because live stream is available. I can't help but ask what would those folks do if live stream was not available uh, before I give it, give it to you, Joe, obviously, I don't think Facebook Live can do this. Um, if I was an elder, one of the things that I would consider doing is maybe posting it later. Um, maybe, you know, just trying to monitor again, if, if elders are responsible for the shepherding of souls, maybe trying to monitor, you know, who is it that's watching? Obviously, like Jack said, if you, if you have the virus or if you have symptoms, you don't need to be coming to worship. But what about those that don't? And with Facebook Live, I don't think you can really monitor that. I think it's just the views. But th th those are uh, those are my thoughts on it. This is just my take. I, I agree with you. My take would be at Miller Street, uh, where I came from in, in uh, Wheat Ridge, we uh, did Zoom, which has its own issue, you know, can have its own issues, but we did Zoom and it had password. What I would do personally is change the password each week. And then somebody has to say, hey, I'm not going to be able to make it this week. I'm sick, whatever it is. Can I get the password? And it still encourages, first off, it's a way to monitor who That's then it encourages, you know, it, it encourages us to still reach out and say, hey, we're sick. Then we can minister to them. What can we bring you? You know, do you sure. need anything? Do you need anything? So that would be my idea. But let's um, go ahead and move on to Jack. How about you? You know, unless you'd like me to take it, but no, you what's go your, go ahead. okay. All right. So my first lesson, and we'll, we'll keep this a little shorter just for time's sake. But uh, I grew up with a dad who had a bazillion, you know, quotes and, and quips and words of wisdom. And I always appreciate it. one of his things is he, he said, everybody's just looking for a good excuse. And that stuck with me a lot because I hit that in my own life and say, man, am I just looking for a good excuse? Uh, yes, it's a, maybe a pessimistic way of looking at it, but I still feel like that's somewhat the case. And we just talked about with the live stream, a lot of that, but I feel like that's so true here. Everybody's just looking for, for a good excuse. When we had an excuse to stay home and to not, and whether you're worshiping in a three-piece suit on your couch or in your PJs on your couch, I still think you should get back to church. But everybody really was looking for an excuse, I feel like, to miss out on church, in, in the culture, to miss work, to be nasty to other people. You know, now, because, hey, if you're not wearing a mask, whatever it is, then I have the ability, or vice versa, I have the ability to scream at you through the keyboard, right? Whatever it may be. And so that's to me, the first lesson that it's seen from a negative perspective. And some of these are positive lessons, but from a negative perspective, 
man, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but to me, it felt like everybody was just looking for a good excuse. As soon as we got it, we shut down. It's the same thing as people. Well, you know, I can't get anybody to go to work type of thing. Uh, Even the people that go to work while we're, you know, COVID type of thing, it's, it's been tough. I understand that, but my goodness, I mean, things are, I can't barely get a cheeseburger on time because of COVID. Everybody was looking for a good excuse to skip work or to have things be more difficult than they needed. Things like that. That's not for my convenience sake, just to make the point that, and I've used it too. I've used COVID as well. Oh, I'm sick. I can't work type of thing. Um, I try not to, to do that too much, but the excuses that we were willing to make specifically when it came to the church, to the live stream, to treating each other t- terribly, to not prioritizing unity, um, seem to be at an all-time high, like we were just look, waiting for something like this. What are your thoughts on that? I could be off. Uh, I, I, I think it's impossible to argue uh, against that. I think there is a lot of that. I mean, I, I my point is going to go back a little bit the other direction, so we'll get to that in just a minute, but it, <laughs> it it's hard to argue. Even the New York Times at the end of January ran an opinion pay, piece of somebody saying, all right, enough is enough. Turn the live stream off. Get back to it. Because you know when uh, the New York Times is doing that, then uh, yeah, I mean, exactly. like that they exactly. are running a, an opinion piece, things that some Christian outlets won't even say yet, and uh, yeah, uh, it, as we talked about earlier, as I said with the parking lot thing or whatever else, it just really revealed that there are people that are looking for an excuse. It, it really yep. showed that some people are are just waiting on it, and so I think you know it it builds on Will's point, but don't be the kind of person who's looking for an excuse. Don't, you know, right. look, look for the reasons and, and, and every excuse you can find to do the right thing, not yep. take the first pass out of not doing it. Or as Joe said, treating people poorly or all of the other things that have come out of this. I think and that's a good point. That's exactly what I was going to say just briefly is that it, it revealed the two types of people, right? You've got some that they're going to do everything in their power to come to worship, right? right. They're going to look for the, uh, they're going to look for the excuse or the reason to come to worship. And then you've got those who as y'all already said, are going to look for the excuse or the reason not to come. And, and what COVID has done, in my opinion, has just widened that gap between the two of lo- people looking for a reason to versus people looking for a reason not to. So Jack, how about you? What, what's your first one that you had? All right. So I'm, I'm going to go the positive direction after those those two. Um, That's good. That's is, a good thing. Yeah, it's going to shock, that. It's gonna shock everybody that. that I'm the voice of positivity. It's it's the Indeed. Grinch's heart grew that day kind of thing. Um <laughs> There was a real beauty of obedience that came out in the last two years. I, I want to look back on this, and there's there's a lot where you can look at and go, man, people found excuses, people really avoided, people shirked, at, you know, duty, and and all kinds of bad things came out of this. But I remember at the start of it, churches, we weren't the first one. We we learned from other people who were just determined, saying, we got to get back together. Let's find something out. And so, you know, people doing small gatherings in their backyard in lawn chairs in places that had more temperate climates, the parking lot thing. Um, you know, one of the, the sisters here at Forney was just like, this uh, This is killing me. Uh, not being together, we got to find something out. You know, we got to find a way. And so after a few weeks of live streaming, and it was getting to all of us. We were all missing each other. We were all, you know, just pining away for the fellowship, the worship together. And so, I mean, we got together and we got this, we had this one speaker we set up and it, it didn't work very well. And so we kind of trial and errored it. And there was that determination to get together. And so there was a real beauty to obedience. There was a real beauty to say, you know, God wants us to do this. We love each other. We want to be around each other. We want to find a way to do this. And then the other side of that, and we're going to talk to uh, to unity more. So I'm going to save more of that for the end. But the beauty of People who don't believe in masks and hate masks and, and don't want anything to do with them, 
putting on a mask to make their brother comfortable sometimes. Uh, on sure. the other way, people who are, are kind of nervous are around the unmasked and, and then it when it morphed to vaccination and, and all the ways that this has gone, but still said, oh, I'm going to go in there and worship with those unmasked people because... You know, it, it's it's what God wants me to do, and and so people who obeyed and people who made it work through this, um, I like it, it's a beautiful thing. I do too. And Jack, I appreciate you bringing up that point because obviously, you know, with the first two that, that Joe and I hit, there there are quite a few uh, negative things you might say that that we're going to address and need to address. But the the positives, you know, just as just as is the fact that there, are, you know, where a lot of people might still be a lot of people that are you know looking for an excuse, there are still just as many people who were, were striving to, you know, obey, who were striving to come to yeah. worship. You had just as many congregations who were, you know, stayed shut down for eight months. There were just as many congregations, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, they were desperate to try to find ways to get back in the building. And so I appreciate you bringing out the positive because, we, you know, we don't want to get on here and be all doom and gloom and, you know, just you know, slam the pulpit type of thing. Um, so that, I think that's a very good point. Here's, here's the thing that COVID is a good excuse to my point. Like everybody's looking for a good excuse. COVID is a good excuse. People are sick. People are dying. There were, there was a good excuse to do some of those things. Doesn't mean it's valid completely, but you know, in terms of excuse, there were a lot of people that said, yeah, I could take that excuse and they didn't. So to those, to those that did that, I, I'm very appreciative, you know, and I want to yeah. be somebody like that who says, even in the midst of, I could use this excuse. It is legit. Um, there is some fear to this for sure. Hey, it's important to be around my brothers and sisters. It's important to make it work. To those who uh, hosted, I remember seeing Facebook videos of these these singings and people having them over in the backyard and everybody's social distance, but somebody just have the entire church over and it may be a small church, right? But Because they wanted to be together. Exactly. Right? They made it work and they still maintain social distancing. Maybe they wore masks, whatever it was that, that needed to be um, in accordance with the government, which I think goes really well with Romans 13. Um, they were trying to do what was right but they also understood the importance of, hey, let's be together. Um, I, I really appreciate that people were willing to think outside the box a little bit on some of those things. Well, and there's that age-old wisdom, you don't know what you have until it's gone. And yep. right. And so when we lost fellowship with each other for weeks, for months, however long it was at your particular setting, it was like, man, I I did not realize how much I got out of getting together and singing and, and getting together and, and saying, how are you? And, and fellowship meals and, and there's just opportunities to be with each other. And, and so don't, let's not forget that. Let's, let's remember yeah. how, how hard it is to go without that and, and keep that in our minds, keep that in our back pocket as we operate as churches to think we really need each other. And there's a real beauty in, in what God has built. And there's a beauty in obedience and, and setting an example for one another of, prioritizing each other through these things and so that was my number one uh let's let's get into round two we're back to will um what's next on your list the next thing that i had jack you said it up perfectly a few minutes ago um could be viewed as a positive uh could be turned into a positive i should say the second lesson that i had is that we as uh congregations need to do a much better job of emphasizing um the essential workers point that Jack had earlier. We need to do a much better job of emphasizing that every single member of the church has a role to play, has a, a talent to offer. Uh, we were studying, right, right. We were studying first Corinthians chapter 12 in Bible class um, a couple, a uh, couple months ago. Now it's been, but the Paul making the point that, you know, just because you're, you know, to use the, the physical body analogy, you know, if you're an eye, you can't look at the arm and say, well, you're not useful because you're not an eye. 
every single part of the body is useful. Every single part of the body has a function. And if, if you have a part of the body that is not functioning to its utmost ability, then what does that mean? That means the entire body is not functioning to the utmost ability that it absolutely can. And so we've got to do a better job of emphasizing that to Jack's point earlier, when he said that, you know, the preachers viewed as essential, the, the, um, you know, the AV guys are viewed as essential, but you know, your average just listener on Sunday morning isn't viewed as essential. We need to change that. And again, this, I hope this gets turned into a positive because if, if you're somebody who maybe you don't have an assigned role in a, in a congregation, you're not an elder, you're not a deacon, you're not an AV guy or a preacher, understand that you have value. You have value. You have talent. You have a role. Again, the, the, the body analogy that Paul uses is perfect. If, if you have a part of your body that's not functioning to its, to its utmost, then the entire body is not going to be functioning because uh, to its utmost. And, and again, it's, it's a perfect analogy. And, I, and so I think we need to do a, a much better job of emphasizing that of the, of the fact that there are no, you know, more necessary or more essential roles and, and, and functions. The entire body of Christ was designed by God so that every single member could, could contribute. And that's a positive because for those that maybe are still use, doing the live stream or whatever else or scared to back to church, the church needs you. Right. It is a positive. You have a lot of value to the church, whether you see that or not. If we take Ephesians 4 to be, you know, for probably somewhere around what, 15, 16? 16. Um, yep. 16. To be, if we take that to be accurate, well, it's God's word. So, of course, it is. Then the church is not as good when you're not there. It is. Joe, it I'm going to, I'm going to. Really? I'm going to read that because that's I actually have my Bible open there. I was about to, to quote it. He, he brought up Ephesians 4.16. It's the end of a thought for Paul. Go back and read 11 through 16. But verse 16 is the perfect picture of what an interconnected body of Christ looks like. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We couldn't sum it up any better than that. Right. Um, Every part doing its share, what every joint supplies, that includes, again, it, the people that are still sitting at home, body of Christ needs you. The body of Christ needs you desperately. There was a lot of talk early on in COVID about what churches can learn from this. And when we come back and, and when things get back to normal, what can we take from it? And, and that idea is really a big part of it, of how much we need each other, how much each part can contribute, how much we can all, all play a role. And I, I don't want us to lose that two years in after the fatigue set in after, you know, there was kind of like an energy about it in a weird way early on as much fear as there was as much upheaval as there was there was a here's a chance to to learn some things and do some things differently. Let's not lose that. And so think about ways, especially if you're a church leader, an elder, a preacher, whatever role you're in, how can I make more of the gifts of the people that are in the church? How, how can they yep. bring more to the table? How can I get out of this mindset that, or how can we, I, I guess in general, get out of this mindset that views people as non-essential, and if they're in the pew or not in the pew, it you know, makes a little bit of difference. We like the difference. We like the numbers higher. We like the, the giving to be there. But other than that, you know, we, we just try and put things on for them. How do we engage them? And um, I, I can recommend a book if, if anyone wants to... <laughs> <laughs> What book is that, Jack? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this guy. No, uh, Church Reset. You guys check out at focuspress.org. Uh, I'm in a generous mood. We gave a book away last week. The first person to email me, Jack at focuspress.org, um, mention this podcast. I will send an ebook, uh, Church Reset, if you'd like one. Can that so, be me? 
<laughs> I'll do it now. <laughs> the second bur- person to email me. <laughs> um, Joe already beat you. Sorry. So, yeah, you know, we're, we want to be generous on this podcast. We want to get information out. And, that, and that's really the point is to get this idea in, in our minds as Christians that we need each other. The church is better when every joint is supplying something. And so it's a great point to to use this as a reset to emphasize and to rethink how do we get everybody to be an essential member, an essential worker of the church? And to that point, I love that. Um, it's also a great opportunity as we're talking about the live stream and whatnot. It's an exciting or, or it presented an exciting opportunity to say, what else could we do with, like, how could we supercharge worship to make it the best it could be, to be mm-hmm. drawn to God, to glorify God to the best of our ability? Because it got taken away for a time. And when it came back, we, it should be a time to reassess and say, you know, is our standard announcements, prayer, song, song, Lord's Supper, song, song, sermon, song, prayer, done. Is that what we're going for? What if we were to really rethink how we worship to make it as good as it could possibly be to edify each other to a thousand percent to utilize the gifts of everybody else. Like to me, it really opened, and this isn't my, my thought. I'll get into that in a second for my second lesson, but it opened the idea of rethinking some things of how we operate as a church in general with the worship, with the fellowship, with, you know, getting together during the week and what's important with um, you know, as we're talking about everybody, every member being necessary, what an opportunity to, as kind of to Jack's point with the book to reset and yeah. to ask ourselves what is important to us and what are we willing to do to maybe get away from what we've always done in pursuit of the better in pursuit of, wow, we got that taken away for a time. Now that we've come back, is there anything we do differently this time? So I don't know. That's, that's the exciting thing for me. All right. Why don't you go ahead with uh, your, your second point there, Joe? Yeah. Yeah. And once again, I guess I missed your negativity today. Uh, but my second point is get your own house in order first. Uh, this is something I've had to learn. Uh, I'm still working on this, still still trying to learn this. But the idea here is there was so much judgment. There was so much hate uh, for everybody else's choices. I see it on, and, and there's some positive as well, Of as you talked uh, to your point, Jack, of um, people being, I guess, loving and, and continuing to go through, even if you put on a mask, even if you don't want to, or, or vice versa, you know, right. But specifically on social media, and I even saw this in church, there were those that were very, very judgmental based on political things or based on who was wearing a mask and who wasn't. A um, lot of nastiness, a lot of frustration built up. Uh, and I feel like it was a time where everybody just felt they had the ability to comment and judge somebody else for their choices um, while they're still trying to get their own stuff together. So and it's kind of the, the Matthew 7 approach of, hey, take the log out of your own eye first. If you are screaming at somebody through the keyboard, if you are saying some nasty things about how dare you be so unloving as to not wear a mask while you are calling them names and being unloving, get your own house in order first. And again, I'm having to learn this as well, but to me, that has been a big lesson that's come out of it is it's easy to judge the rest of the world. It's easy to comment on Twitter with how we'd fix the world, but it's to the kind of the, to the Jordan Peterson point, like, how about you make your own bed first before you try to fix the world? And uh, to me, there was a lot of that going on. And, and again, even in my own life of having to learn, I'll focus on my love. I'll focus on, on what I can do to help others before I start commenting on their willingness to love. 
Now, let me ask you this, Joe, because I, I think it's a good point. I think it's a very good point. However, let me play devil's advocate for just sure. a second. What about somebody who might be, have, you know, have listened up to this point and say, so you're saying, you know, quit being judgmental and get your own house in order before you start telling other people what to do. Is that not sort of what, you know, we're doing right here, you know, on, on this podcast, uh, as far as telling people, you know, shut off the live stream, get back in worship. You know, I can very easily see somebody arguing, hey, that's exactly what you're doing. And you're telling everybody else not to do that. So what would be your response? To that, I'd give two points. First off, I'd say I am still learning exactly as I said, you know, I'm still working on this. Um, it, it is a constant, uh, constant struggle. It goes along with the goals, right? It goes along with me trying to get my house in order. But second off, as far as it goes with like the live stream and such, my house is in order. I, I am going back to church. I am preaching in a congregation. I am having people over in my homes. I am sure. doing those things. And the temptation is to call out that, well, you know, basically don't boast about it. I'm not boasting. This is all by the grace of God that I'm able to do these things. But at the same time, it's very much David being able to be like, yeah, I'm in a right state with God. In that way, I am. In that way, with me going back to church and doing those things, we get squeamish and we talk about, well, that's really arrogant. Um, I don't see it as arrogant to say, no, we are doing the right things. We are chasing God, pursuing him to the fullest. And if there's a way for me to do it better, I would love to know. That's what I'm here for is to grow and to try to get my own house in order to the best of my ability. Sure. So that's what I would say. Um, that would be my answer for those. And that's a really valid, good question for those I listening just, going. You're doing the my same brain is, is broken by memes, but Joe doing the clean your own room, get your house in order, Jordan Peterson bit and will coming back with the, <laughs> so you're saying it's just, it's perfect. Um, uh, a few people are going to get that. Um, I think that's a, a big part of this too, is the in review that we're talking about is, as I, I, I said, I wrote a year ago, you know, I wrote early on and then I wrote a year ago. Wow, I was way off. I, I was just wrong. And, and that's a part of this is looking back and going, I shouldn't have done this or I would do this differently or I was wrong about this. There was an article run in a Church of Christ publication recently um, where they, they made the point of, you know, we we can no longer afford to to put off doing the work of, of God. And so let's get back to it. And it's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's no uncritical looking back. There's no there's no critical looking back at ourselves. It's just now that this guy has now decided is the time, right? we've been almost two years now. We we can't afford it any longer. We could afford it for all this time. Mm-hmm. And, and it was okay until then. There's no handling the looking back. And if we don't do that, then we're not going to get things right. And so that's a big part of getting our houses in order is go, what did I get wrong on this? And man, <laughs> I got stuff badly wrong. I have written retraction okay. articles or I've written um, correction articles or, or changed view articles. And I, I'm not patting myself on the back, you know, saying, look at me, I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm getting things right now. I might be wrong this time. Uh, that That's a, an understanding that you have to have. And as, as things change and as information changes, you have to say, man, I messed up. I'm sorry. I, I misled. And so, uh, boy, yeah, what that, I, I've been what wrong. That takes, though, what that takes, though, is self-awareness to go back and to be willing to critique yourself. But if you're self-aware, then you'll probably be self-aware in the moment enough to say, am I doing, am I pursuing God? Am I, am I pursuing unity? Am I pursuing the things that I'm supposed to pursue? If you're not doing it now, you're going to have a tough time looking well, back and, and doing it. And it also takes humility. And I think that I brought this up a, a couple episodes ago now, the fact that we have so many people that they're just determined that their way is correct. They're so set in their ways. It's this closed mindedness that, you know, no matter what comes out, no matter, you know, what experiences I have, no matter what I learn, my position that I've held for, for X amount of years or X amount of months is going to be the same thing. 
we can't do that. You know, when we're, when we are dealing with unprecedented times and unprecedented things as, as we are right now, we have to have that open mind and be willing to go back and say, man, where did I get this wrong? And where could I improve? If you don't have that, you never are going to grow physically or spiritually. So I think it's a good point, Jack. Right. Right. So get your house in order, make sure you're, you're taking care of your own. I'll, I'll get into my number two now as well. Um, I think it's very important, and I elaborate on this in an article that's coming out on, on focuspress.org, to get our hermeneutics right, our, our biblical interpretation right. And and so when all this happens, we're all scrambling to Bible verses of what are we supposed to do, and you've got the faith over fear uh, argument, but then you've got the you know love your neighbor means staying away argument. Hermeneutics is very simple. When there's a clear command, you do that. When there's a, you, you interpret the generic through the lens of the specific, right? Um, and so I'm going to do a, a slight corrective on you guys earlier. We, we, you brought up the term forsaking the assembly. That's not technically correct. It, and, and I make this distinction, and it sounds like I'm being pedantic, but it's, it's really important. It's forsaking the assembling of yourselves mm-hmm. together. And so it's not an event, because when we say the assembly, we're talking about 9.30 on Sunday morning, right? Yeah. The assembling yeah. of yourselves together is a habit that he's developing in those verses of coming together to stir one another up to, uh, stir one another, uh, up to love and good works and to, to encourage one another to be there for each other as he is echoing chapter 3 of encourage one another day after day so that no one's hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, we're talking Hebrews here, of course, Hebrews 10, 25 and, uh, and the surrounding. And so it's not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. And that's a very specific command of, he's saying, you need to be together to keep each other on the straight and narrow. And then you put that against love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what does love your neighbor as yourself have to say about gathering with one another? We can twist it into love your neighbor means don't get your neighbor sick, don't expose them to something, don't be around them. That's that's a bit of a journey to get from that general command to that specific application. When you've got a specific command that says get together and encourage each other, get together and build each other up. And I appreciate the correction there because in our brain, we have trained ourselves when we hear forsake or not forsaking the assembly, you know, even though you point out, it's not what it says. When we think that, when we hear that, we, we take that to mean just be there every time the doors are open and, you know, just make sure you don't ever miss a service. Well, and with to, that to, interpretation, you can really spin it pretty. It doesn't, it's not a far journey to say we are doing the assembly through live stream. But when we get this assembling right, we realize that is not the same thing. It's not a substitute at all. It goes so much further than that. Right. Exactly. And the verse before is to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So if you want to throw in the love your neighbor as yourself, well, that's a great verse as well. And how do we do that? By assembling together. You can't do that through a computer screen. Right. That was an interesting thing. I brought up that New York Times op-ed a bit ago. This lady, she's an Anglican priest or something like that. I, I don't know what her background is. Nice. But she made the point of, we need to come together now and stop live streaming now because it's the best way to love your neighbor. And she's not. Hmm. She, she was saying that we were loving our neighbor by staying home, but now to love your neighbor is to come together. Well, to Joe's point, God's way of loving one another is coming together and building each other up and encouraging each other, not staying away from each other. And then you've got all of these these other ones, bear one another's burdens, any number of one another, confess your sins to one another. And yet we had phone calls and Zoom calls and stuff like that to connect with people. But in general, we, we just fractured everybody away from each other and made the one another's impossible. Well, those are specific commands that we trumped with a generic command to love one another. Well, those specifics are how we love one another. 
That's God's giving God giving us directions on. I said, love one another. Here's how you do it. And so if you don't do those things, you're not doing the general, which is love one another. And so our, our hermeneutics have to be better on things like this. When, when I, and I, I've got an article on this as well. I wrote, love your neighbor is the new don't judge. It's just a verse that you can trot out to make it mean whatever yeah. you want it to mean, to make whatever point you want to make. And, and that's a dangerous thing. Love your neighbor is a very vital, important, critical, indispensable biblical commandment. It's the second greatest command, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. But that doesn't mean it, it, it supports every point I want to hold. So you're telling me Jesus saying love your neighbor as yourself does not mean stay away from them and in your own home and, and text them? <laughs> That's not what that means? Well, okay, so you brought up earlier the mental health issue, right? (laughs) Right. We abandon people to their mental health, suicides, drug abuse. I mean, just stuff is skyrocketing. Marriages. I I mean, I know my my own marriage suffered and struggled through the last two years' difficult uh, difficulty. I've I've known a number of other people that either broke up, divorced, you know, have been on the rocks um, because of these two years. And I I think this isolation, this stress, the strain it's put on everybody. I mean, as a minister, it's been brutal. Everybody has had, you know, COVID just beat the life out of so many of us to to so many degrees and we isolated from each other at the time we needed each other most for encouragement we, we compounded the issue yeah. yeah well we cheapened what that even means though in that well i sent him a text i gave him a phone call we zoomed for a little bit it is not the same i run a um so last year um i started working with a place in, in boulder uh doing sex addiction work and they have I do the individual therapy, but they do uh, group therapy. And I was fortunate enough to sit in some of those. I also run some of the groups. I I run a group um, for them, an aftercare group on Mondays over Zoom. Everybody else has gone back home. They're great groups, good guys. They encourage one another. But to be in the room with those guys sharing and they they'd all come together and, and this isn't even a religious thing. They would put their hands on each other you know, trying to help these guys feel love. Right. And it's not in a religious way, nothing like that, but it's just in a way to convey, Hey, we're here for you. We encourage you. We love you. We support you. And to be in person was, it just gives you chill bumps, man. It, there's nothing like it in the love that you can show to one another in a personal setting. And this goes back to your point about live streams. And this goes to a lot of our points. So I don't want to belabor that, but there is a giant difference in terms of encouraging one another. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily, right? When you can do that in person, we all know this. It's not some secret. Everybody who's, would you rather go to lunch with a friend or would you rather have a phone call with a friend? Rather go to lunch, depending on where you go to lunch. I mean, if it's like McDonald's, maybe not, but right. If chili, you, you know, <laughs> exactly. Oof. But um, still like that's, it matters to be in person. It's how we fulfill this command. Jack, you're hitting the point really well. And that our hermeneutic, I think has been broken to fit COVID into any Bible verse that we want to fit into it. Um, And, and yeah, I don't know. I think the love your neighbor, it's been a big one. What would you say to the weaker brother, stronger brother argument? Obviously you can get into that first Corinthians Romans gets into it. Um, But this idea of weaker brother, stronger brother, Jack, what would you say to somebody saying, Hey, um, the weaker brothers may want you to, to get vaccinated. Uh, and so we all need to get vaccinated. Something like that, that gets into, I don't want to get too much into political or anything like that, or, or too specific necessarily, but that is an argument that's being used, not just to love you. Yeah, absolutely. What do you See, say to that? I think that builds on my point too, about hermeneutics, but number two, I, I think it 
well, not number two. My, my numbers are getting screwed here. I was homeschooled. Um, <laughs> I think it's it's leading right into our number three. I think we've all pretty well got the same number three uh, yeah. that, that we wanted to talk about is the concerns of unity. Um, yeah. Well, just quickly uh, go around. How did you phrase your point number three, Will, and then Joe? Just so, the title. Uh, essentially, what I put was we have to start viewing the uh, unity type activities outside of a worship service as essential. You know, the, the coming together, the, the things okay. that build unity, again, outside of assembling, we got to start viewing that as essential, right. was, was my number three. Mine is yeah. unity is more important than ever. Okay. And mine is, is going to be the challenges of unity. That I, I think uh, unity is more important than ever. We have to pursue unity. It's very, it, it's needed. It's all, all of those things. No disagreement. But we also have to realize there's going to be some fractures. There's going to be some, some necessary splitting of the ways, and, and not in a good way. Not that I'm happy to report that, but to a degree where, you know, uh, and there's there's plenty that sounds so harsh. We hate talking like that. We read First, Second Timothy, and Titus. How many times Paul says, "Reject a factious man." After you know, a first a warning and a second, kick him out, get rid of him. You know, remove right. those that are going to tear apart, remove those who divide, remove those who will not build toward unity. And so let's get to the Romans 14 thing because that is the heart of the unity discussion of the New Testament. I wrote on it. Uh, again, <laughs> focuspress.org, it's all there, Romans 14. Um, in the technical sense, we'll just break it down. The stronger brother is the one that has more freedom, right? That that looks at it and says, I, I'm i okay to do these things. In there, it was eating of meats, vegetables, celebrating of certain holidays, that it's okay for me to do these things. The weaker brother is the one who says that it's not. And the beauty of it, that of Romans 14, is it gets to the exact same disagreements that humans have always had and that we have right now. It's the you, if you disagree with me, you're either two things, stupid or evil, right? Mm. You're a bad person because you disagree or you're stupid. Your information's bad, you know, and you see all, I mean, all the debate right now, Spotify, Joe Rogan, and who's allowed to say this and who's allowed to say that, CNN versus Fox News and uh, Democrat versus Republican. Everyone looks at the other and says, you're either stupid or you're evil. And so as, as Christians, that same thing came out. And the stronger brother, their temptation is to look at the weaker brother and think of them as stupid. I'm, I'm totally fine to do this. It, there's no law against this. It's, it's not a big deal. I'm allowed to do this. How do you not know that? Mm. The weaker brother tends to look at the stronger brother as evil. You're doing that, and that is not okay. God doesn't want us to do that. Why would you do that? What's wrong with you? You are evil. You're a bad person. And so in COVID, through all this, as I wrote in that, just from the technical definition of the verse, the stronger would be those that decline the masks, decline the vaccines, that, that want to get together, that want to, you know, that, that aren't as concerned with the things. And, and people got very up in arms about that. Oh, you're calling me weaker? It's not a pejorative in this chapter. It's right. not saying you're a lesser Christian. It's saying your conscience is has a, a thinner margin. That's okay, because it, it does that from a good heart. You're looking at it right. and saying, I want to please God, and and so I I don't think I should do these things. In Romans 14, is I don't think I should eat this meat. I don't think I should celebrate this day, because your heart is in the right place. The stronger brother's heart is also in the right place to say, I want to please God too, but God doesn't. God has given me freedom in this area, so I'm going to take it. And so that stupid evil split that we get drawn into, that media is, is obsessed with, is something Christians can't get sucked into. And if you apply Romans 14, which is, hey, the stronger, you're allowed to do that, but don't force your weaker brother to do it. In fact, don't even do it in front of him. Give him, give him a break. Don't make this an issue for him. 
on the uh, other side, the weaker, you can't be tyrannical and enforce your conscience on everybody else. And, and so you see this going in both directions to a degree. I think more of the time, the, the weaker, because they think themselves righteous, because they think those that disagree with them are evil, within Christianity, they are advantaged right? So you're a bad mm-hmm. person. You don't love your neighbor. And so you, uh, there was a church in Canada said you can't come in. There, there were multiple churches said you can't come in if you're not vaccinated. You're wow. going to tell people they can't come uh. in and worship God, receive communion, fellowship with the church if they're not vaccinated. That is the tyranny of the weaker. That's not okay. And in, in both directions, you know, the, the, the stronger in this, again, it doesn't make you a better person. It's just a useful designation for the argument. Can't look and say, you're wearing a mask, hi, you're afraid, you're a loser, you're, you know, faith over fear, and what's wrong with you? Yeah, Yeah. you're a sheep, you know, and that happens. On the other hand, somebody who's wearing a mask and looks at a brother who doesn't want one, isn't wearing one, can't go, you're trying to kill me, what's wrong with you? You know, you you don't love your neighbor. It's all spelled out right there, we just don't want to listen to it, because we have to admit, it's my opinion, I think we also don't know where to draw lines and that's a matter of conscience specifically in this area, as you're saying, all of it is, but like, okay, so I'll wear a mask for you. Right. I personally, uh, you know, I'm not a big believer in masks, so, you know, again, not going to get into stats or nothing like that. I just, um, that's kind of where I'm coming from. However, if I'm around somebody who needs me to, or wants me to, um, for sure. Yeah. I'll wear a mask. If that goes into vaccination, whatever it may be, the bigger things, this is where people start drawing lines going, well, I don't want to do that. And I think that's one of the issues. And it's not something that we can, we're not, you know, wise enough to solve this. And and it is kind of a, um, I don't know, at least that's what, how I would view it is that's the issue. We don't know where to draw the line. Some things are important. Some things are, are, you know, I don't know. Does that make sense? Like, yes, I'll do the masks, but no, I won't get vaccinated. That type of thing. Um, Sure. Whereas the weaker brother seems to kind of, as you're talking, Jack, they want it all. They want it all. If I have anything and, and to broaden this to wider culture, this goes to wider culture of, Hey, if you're, if it's hate speech or whatever else, then you can't say it. And so we find ourselves kowtowing to the, you know, to the weaker brother again, not as a pejorative, not as, not as a negative term, you know, but as much as, Hey, they get everything that they ask for. Well, where do we draw the line? What do you guys have any thoughts on that? Or is that, is that just something that is more conscience based? Hey, we need to talk it through with them. Um, I, that's a tough question. I, w- I would say it is more conscious based. I would say, as Jack already said, it's, it's very opinion based. Uh, anytime you start mandating your opinions, you know, in a biblical sense, again, the love your you need to do this and that under the guise of love your neighbor, but it's on the basis of an opinion. I think that's incredibly dangerous for either side, you know, for whatever your opinions on mass or vaccines or, or COVID or whatever it is, anytime you start mandating your opinions on your brothers and sisters in Christ that don't have a lot of biblical bearing, it's a dangerous game to play. It's a very dangerous game to play. But I think also a lot of this could be solved once again with if, if we go back and further establish, deepen and develop our relationships with each other. What's mm-hmm. the reason that we have a lot of disunity and, and, and you know, fractions and and uh, dispute going on today within congregations It's because we don't have deep relationships with each other. And that's a general statement I know, but overall you, you have a lot of people who they'll come together for worship and then again, they'll leave. And that's, that's the end of their Christian duty for the week. 
if we had these deeper relationships with each other, we could hash these things out. It wouldn't be a lashing out. It wouldn't be a, you know, just hurling insults at each other. You're stupid. You're evil. We could actually, I'd like to think communication could solve it. We could sit down and, and discuss, hash some things out. Again, that's not the way we do things today because we hide behind our keyboards and, you know, we don't come together. But suffice it to say, I think a lot of it could be solved if we would just simply work and make the effort to deepen and develop our relationships. The like also, in a marriage. Well, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to make a quick point. Look, in a marriage, I don't agree with my wife on every last thing. See, okay. what? No that's way. That's exactly what I was going to get is... That's, that's what Romans 14 <laughs> establishes with us is you have to allow each other to be wrong. You know, yep. you can sit here and say, but you're wrong about this. You're wrong about this. And, and man, I've, I've seen it. We've all seen it over the last two years. Of, Here's a link that proves me right. Here's a scientific study that proves me right. Here's the, the headline that proves me right. And so you're wrong. And therefore you got to agree with me. No, that's what Romans 14 says is the other person can be wrong and you are still their brother. You still love them. And if you won't let somebody be wrong, if, if you'll just cut somebody off and say, we're not going to have fellowship if you're wrong about this thing, you are the sinner in that relationship. Right. Yeah. And we've equated right and wrong with matters of opinion with morality. I'm right about yes. this. Therefore, I'm as you're talking about, Jack, I'm more holy. You're evil. Um, directly to your point in these are matters of opinion being right or wrong about, you know, biblical things. Sure. It's, it's, that's obviously a serious thing, but to equate my own rightness or wrongness, uh, you know, about COVID with morality, I'm, I stand on a higher pedestal. No, but when you have that, then you have somebody who's constantly either going to try to knock you off your pedestal or who's going to try to get re, you know, basically like monitor and, and stay on top of the hill, right? Stay on their pedestal. Well, because um, we, we've, we've seen how this goes. I'm, I guarantee there's somebody listening to this going, it. no, it's not an opinion that masks work. It's it's a fact. Or somebody saying it's not an opinion that masks don't work. It's a fact. Okay, let's, let's say whichever one of you is right, the other one's allowed to be wrong. The other yeah, one is yeah. is still your brother if they are wrong about that issue, about uh, vaccination. And so as we said at the start, we don't want to get into do masks work or they not work. That's not the point. The biblical no. principle that you have to obey is unity with your brother. And so, as I said, unity is going to be more of a challenge than I ever realized because we are dealing with different sets of facts. And with those different sets of fact, you're being told, especially from one direction more than the other. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious. As I said, there's churches that say you are not allowed in here without vaccination, there's not churches that say you're not allowed in here if you are vaccinated, right? This goes yeah. mainly one direction. That's not to say it doesn't. I've seen churches that say if you wear a mask in here, you're a coward and you're not allowed in. Okay, so there are those places. That's not good. However, this does cut more in one direction than the other. And so that's something we have to guard against, something we have to be careful against. And, and with this challenge is the two different worlds we occupy. We operate on different sets of facts. We operate in just totally different worlds. We can either Romans 14 our way out of it, which is the only way forward, or if somebody just insists, then we're not going to have unity. We, we just can't. Uh, I'm sorry. And so the, the kind of person who is sitting back and rooting and saying, yeah, we should have a vax, vax mandate, and if, if you don't get it, you should lose your job, and the guy in the pew next to him loses his job and can't feed his family because of it, how are we going to have unity together? How, uh, how are these Christians going to, to be uh, able to come together in that? And so... Have a heart. Be willing to disagree. And if you're not willing to agree to disagree and, and move past these things and love each other through it, then no, there's not unity to be had. I love your point about wrong because it does it does sound so like, it's such a good point, but it's kind of like I was thinking of using that in my marriage. Well, I'll let you be wrong. 
I'll let you. <laughs> Good luck with that, Joe. You know, Alyssa, you're. I love you. You're to allowed death, to be wrong. Yeah. You're allowed to be wrong, and yeah. I'm allowed to be. Give right, us the you know? report on how that tactic goes. <laughs> exactly. Tune in but, next week for yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's it's such a good point though, but you know we can do that when we love each other, and that's my point about the marriage or in the family is check you and I not we don't disagree on very much, but we do disagree on some things. We're going to get into one in in a few weeks, maybe or a couple weeks um, on something that you and I do disagree on. Um, <clears throat> I, we love each other. You're my brother. I'm not going to write you off. And so when I know you deep down and I know your heart and I know you're a good guy, when I do disagree with you, at least I think so sometimes, but when I do disagree, um, I give you the benefit of the doubt that you're not trying to kill me, right. That you're not, that you're not taking a jerk approach, same thing in the church. And that speaks directly to your point, Will, of when we know each other, when I actually know you and I know your heart and I know you're a good brother and I know you're not trying to do these things, you truly believe that you need to wear masks. Okay. I know you're coming from a good place that you don't hate me for my opinion. I don't hate you for yours because I love you. There's a love, there's a respect, there's a trust in this relationship. That's what we're called to be in the church. Part of the way we do that is by assembling, of course, and building that trust and encouraging one another. But when that's there, man, uh, you'll be surprised at how, uh, again, the unity and it's falling apart in our culture. The divorce is rampant because we don't know how to disagree. We don't know how to allow the other person to be wrong or allow the other person to be right and be okay with that. And you're also being told by your TV that if somebody disagrees, you are able to do anything up to punching them in the face because it's right. It's okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because they're stupid or evil. Right. Right. It's, um, I was, I don't, we probably need to wrap up. Um, but I was thinking about, this idea of enabling, maybe this is a different discussion for a different time. In our culture, does it not feel like sometimes we enable the weaker? We've already talked about this, but enable the weaker brother. How do we handle that? Of we we're not looking to enable each other. So with Paul, there's the love, there's there's the you know making sure that we're okay with with each other being wrong or whatever. I think Jack's point is very valid, but. Like, do you feel sometimes because it's the same thing? What is it called? Um, I want to say intersectionality. The idea of if you are, you know, homosexual or, or if you are yeah. whatever it may be that kind of you're held in a higher status in our culture. And if you're the offended party, you're held in a higher status in our culture. And I'm curious how that plays into this discussion. What your guys' thoughts are on that? Of Do you think we enable kind of that... Um, the higher status approach to those who are more offended, to those who are the squeaky wheel. The, yes, That's exactly. exactly. That happens in churches of uh, so-and-so's offender. We can't do that because so-and-so that, that doesn't work that way. We we've talked before off air about as leadership, we can't allow things to be driven based on, on people getting in a, in a bad mood. You know, we don't want to offend people to win on or hurt people. You don't go out of your way to do it. But if somebody, if you're going to be doing something that you're supposed to do, that's perfectly valid to do. And somebody's going to throw a fit over it. They're the problem. They need to be confronted about it. And if they say, well, I'm going to take my ball and go home, they're going to go home. Okay. And, yeah. and we have this attitude. We can't ever let anybody walk out the door because of numbers. And because, you know, if, if there's disagreement, if there's disunity, it's bad. Like I said, read first, second Timothy and Titus, where Paul is writing to ministers and telling them there's a time to kick people out. There's a time to let yeah. people go. There's people that I've turned over to Satan, Paul says, because their mind was in the wrong place. And so protecting the, the boundaries, the borders of the church involves sometimes drawing a line and saying, 
this is how it's going to be. And if you've got a problem with it, this is not the place for you. And and man, that, that sounds harsh. And, and boy, that really rankles with us. It's in there for a reason. You know, we, we have to protect God's house and operate under his rules. And if somebody's not willing to play by Romans 14, they don't get to play. And I don't want to rip this out of context, but, you know, the Hebrews writer, when he's talking about you should be moving on from milk to meat. Do you think there's any correlation in like the weaker brother moving on from going from weaker to stronger? Like it, it's, there will always be some weaker brothers and that's okay. And as you're talking about, Jack, it's not, uh, it's, it's not a negative term per se. It's, it's the, the width of your boundaries, I guess, as you're saying, however, do you think there should be an upward progression kind of to my point of getting your house in order of moving out of the weak into the stronger. And, and some of these things with COVID, you're going to have your own beliefs. It, it doesn't mean you have to change them. It doesn't mean you have to, you know, you have to take my opinion. I may be the weaker brother on some of these things, but do we not have a, um, a responsibility, I guess, to be growing in these things to where we're not always the squeaky wheel. We're not always the weaker brother where everything has to be given to us to make it perfect. It goes to your point, Jack, a consumerism of like, I need it my way. I, I, the churches exist to make sure that I'm happy. The church exists to make sure I'm encouraged. You know what? Sometimes it's the other way around. We are intended to encourage. We are intended to edify. We are intended to give some of those things that we are constantly needing. And I think we get into the consumerism of like, it's okay that I'm the weaker brother. It's okay that I'm, I'm not providing as much because that's, I need, I just needed to show up to church so that I could be encouraged. Do you ever show up to church to encourage somebody else? You know what I mean? We should be moving out of that. I feel like into being able to accept more, being able to love more, being able to, which pushes you more into the stronger brother, the freedom approach. You're not so much under law, you're under spirit and you're moving in that direction. I feel like that should be the direction specifically in a discussion like this, that we're moving to where it's not, you have to agree with me on masks or vaccines or anything else, but it's, we allow for more space for each other because there's a deeper love and trust in the relationship. Does that make sense? We, we ought to be moving out of that. So uh, very rarely is somebody going to always going to be the stronger brother where their, their conscience sure. is so fine tuned that they know all there, there's going to be things where they're a little more narrow than other people. On the other hand, I think your point is very valid. If somebody's always the weaker brother, always looking at everybody, because what happens with that is you get to the point of anybody who disagrees with me on anything is wrong and they're going to hell. That's not okay. You know, and, and, and again, the tyranny of the weaker brother, it, it is in Paul does not say stop being the weaker brother. He does not say stop thinking no. that he does not spend any time on persuasion in that chapter, just as we're not spending any time on persuasion here to say, you need to believe this about masks or vaccines or anything. We're not spending time on persuasion. We're saying you believe what you want to believe, but the weaker, you're not allowed to dictate to the stronger, stronger. You're not allowed to violate the conscience of the weaker. That's all that it comes down to. And so you're right. If somebody is always the weaker brother, you probably need to grow in your study. You probably need to grow in your understanding of grace toward other people to, to say, again, I will let you be wrong from my opinion. Uh, and the, the other thing, being able to say, this is an opinion. Because I think the real trick that we run sometimes is Romans 14 says we've got to give each other grace on matters of opinion. All right, what's a matter of opinion? Nothing. You know, basically right. like when we can have the Sunday worship at 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. That's a matter of opinion. I'll, I'll disagree on that. Maybe the color of the carpet. Maybe, you know, like real trivial things. But on anything else, and, and man, I'm not even going to start listing things because I'll get canceled for the kinds of things you bring up. <laughs> but there's no, if you can legislate everything out of matters of opinion, then you don't ever have to practice that. Well, that, that's a neat trick to play, but it, it's not pleasing to God.
I think hidden under all this is just the idea of growth. And, and we've talked about that you know, quite a bit, probably ad nauseum at this point. But uh, Joe, to answer your question, I think it all comes down to growth. What, you know, if, if you've got somebody who is consistently and constantly, you know, considered the the weaker in a pejorative sense uh, brother, probably time for some growth. Uh, it's probably time to, again, develop your your Bible knowledge a little bit more, develop your, uh, your closeness with God a little bit more. We could go on and on about that. Um, but I think it's a good point to wrap up with growth is as a Christian, as an individual, you know, you go back to that Ephesians 4, 16 passage when it's talking about um, growth as a congregation, you know, gro- growth as the body more so. What does it say? When every part, is, you know, every joint supplying every part does it share, what, is, what does that cause? That causes growth in a congregational yeah. sense. If you don't have individuals that are working towards growth in their own lives, probably not going to have that either, the, the congregational growth, so to speak. That's a good good place to finish. That that we all contribute to this, and and as we look back over COVID and as as the lessons we've learned, building ourselves up to maturity so that we can handle when life throws us yep. these these difficult situations. Because as we talked about, these the commandments don't go out the window when a difficult situation comes up. That's when you need the interpretive skills, the the knowledge, the wisdom to do it God's way rather than my way, and and th- that's our goal. As I said before, I don't have everything right. I've been wrong before. I'm probably going to be wrong again. There's there's a real good chance. Um, you guys are younger than me, so I, this might be me breaking this to you, but you're going to be wrong sometimes, right? Oh, <laughs> you know, man. Yeah, I know. It's, it's just... <laughs> What's that? I'm going to hold myself to three, three strikes. Three, three strikes. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll we'll start. We'll keep count of that. When you go tell your wife that you're allowed to be wrong, that's strike number one, and that'll, that'll be strike, strike one. Two. Yeah. All right. Um, let's briefly, uh, and and more brief than usual, because I think Will's running up against a, an appointment. Get to uh, sermon top, or I don't have a catchy name yet. We we still got to work on that. What you preaching? Uh, t- Give me two minutes. Um, who's first? I think it's Joe's turn to go first. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. Go for it, um, Preach on, still going to that Created For um, series, and did the Created For Relationship Part 1 and 2. The first is Created For Relationship With God. Next week, I'll probably do Part 2. Um, but Created For Relationship With God is uh, seeing in Genesis 2 and 3, we are created for obedience. He gives them law in 2, 15 through 17. Um and, and stuff to do uh, of subduing the garden, right? But then also avoiding the tree. Uh, there's a ton of fruit you can eat and avoid the, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, so we're created for obedience and what all that means. We're created for intimacy. God was walking in the garden. They could hear him coming. I mean, they were they were in a, um, a beautiful, perfect setting of naked and unashamed. They were able to approach God in innocence. That was what we were intended to. That's what we're going back to in heaven. And then the last one is created for redemption. Um, from the We know from Ephesians 1, 4 that, before the foundation of the earth, God chose us as, as his church, right. Um, as the bride of Christ, like that goes back to before Adam and Eve even sinned, he knew that there was going to have to be the plan of redemption. Uh, and we see in the midst of their consequences, uh, which take place in, in, you know, Satan's is in 314, Eve's is in 316, Adam's is in 317 and 315. He gives hope to all mankind that Christ will crush the head of Satan. And then, um, he makes them clothes in 321, which we assume is from animal skins that are sacrificed. Uh, and so there's grace in that. So redemption is possible, even in the midst of our consequences, sin carries heavy consequences, but he offers grace and hope and redemption in the middle of that. Um, and that carries throughout the theme of the Bible. And so there's just a lot of arcs that go back and forth, um, from Genesis two and three into revelation and beyond. That's good stuff. 
I was going to make a joke about we need to define brief for Joe, but uh, that, those are that's such an interesting uh, angle that you're taking with the series. I, I can't even make that joke. Oh, well, I that's, just, that's so good. That's really good. Um, I'll try to be brief. Y'all don't have to define it for me. Um, Preach recently on the uh, title of the lesson was Some Things Never Change. Um, you go to First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, we see what, you know, what we are tempted with today. You got the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. This might be new for some of you, might not be new for some others, but you go back all the way to the beginning of time, the very first sin. What was Eve tempted with? You know, if you look at verse six uh, of Genesis chapter three, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, you got lust of the flesh right there that was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise. All three, you got the pride of life there. All three of those were present in the very first temptation, the very first sin that ever took place. Go to first John chapter, even look at Jesus's temptation. To some extent, you can see kind of parallels there in Matthew four and Luke four with the things that Satan tempts him with, you know, they'll turn these stones into bread, the lust of the flesh, you know, look at all these things I can give you, you know, pride of life type thing. The, the tactics that Satan uses, those three, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, those are still things we very much have to combat today. The methods obviously have changed quite a bit with what we're tempted with. But when you really boil it down, when you really get to the, the bottom line of what it is that we're tempted with, those things haven't changed. And so, you know, I turned the lesson into an application of what do we do to combat those things? Because Satan's not going to stop using those things. So we better figure out a way to combat the the temptation of the those three. Again, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life. So very nice. nice. Liked it a lot. Jack. All right. I'll wrap us up. Um, so I, I'm I'm finished my uh previous series i'm on to back to a month or two in the book of mark um preaching expositorily episode by episode and it's so i'm on to the triumphal entry it's going to be a uh, a study that i'm gonna have to look into a little deeper than i have before i've read a lot of stuff talking about jesus and, and his judgment that he's bringing onto the city and, and how it applies to 70 a.d and the rebellion of of the the jewish people the leadership against him the pharisees and the sadducees and all of that, and, and Jesus promising judgment, and then bringing judgment, and and so I'm I'm interested to study that, but more interest, uh, more uh, specifically, I guess, I, I'm just going to make the case for expository study. We're we're also studying on or exegetical study. We're studying on Wednesday nights how to study the Bible, and when you look episode by episode through narrative like this, or when you can outline a book like Ephesians or, or you know, one of the epistles, and and you know what you're reading. It's so much more powerful than grabbing a verse and, you know, Philippians 4.13ing it, you know, or, or all the ways we can take yeah. it out of context or even, and, and I was raised at least to a certain degree on, you know, you want your sermons full of scripture, 40 or 50 Bible verses in there. But there's something so cool about watching this story unfold and Jesus establishing who he is as Messiah, establishing that it means going to his cross and to death, and, and the, the apostles being incredulous at that, and Jesus saying, you need to understand this if you're going to follow me, and you, you need to sign up for the same thing if you're going to follow me. And they're thinking it's this glorious victory, and he rides into town, and everybody's praising him and excited about the king coming into Jerusalem, and a week later, they've got him on the cross. And... And, and just seeing how it, it unfolds, but then also you've got the Old Testament prophecies you can go back and, and look at, and, and I don't know, I'm just a big proponent of read through the narratives together, and I was talking about seeing the forest for the trees. You can put your face right up against the bark and observe some things, that's like verse by verse, right, one verse at a time, step back, you can see some more, step back, you can see a little bit more step all the way back, you can see the whole forest, and when you can start seeing these stories unfold throughout the Bible... You can start seeing how it all connects. You can see how it connects through the book of Mark, but also how Mark is drawing on the prophets, drawing on David, drawing on Abraham, and and on all of the the 
stuff that came before, the Bible is so cool. It, it, it is just so much deeper than most people even realize. And so I'm excited about that. I really want to encourage people, take some time to dig and figure out why the Bible is laid out the way it is, why these stories work the way they do. What a, what a good line. The Bible is so cool. Yeah. Great line, Jack. Uh, hey, <laughs> hey, Jack, the Apple Dictionary defines brief as of short duration, concise in expression, <laughs> using few words that you might need to... The audacity of Joe. <laughs> yes, thank you, Paul. Had to. From the kettle, I, I offer my sincerest thanks. All right, uh, we're going to get out of here for today. We will be back, uh, what is next week? Mental health? I think mental health. By I think request. we fully decided, but yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by request, uh, we got a request for a mental health episode. We will probably do that next week. So, Lord willing, be looking out for that one. Uh, again, I dropped a free book giveaway in this episode once again. Uh, make sure you caught that. Make sure you, you may email it to me. I might be generous. Send it out to the first one or two people. We'll see. Um, can't give away too much unless for free. Unless it's Joe. But, yeah, unless, unless it's, it's Joe. Joe. <laughs> Joe doesn't get anything for free. Um, but we will talk to you guys. Oh, hold on. I got to uh, add an announcement. We are now on Spotify. I know a lot of people like listening to podcasts on Spotify. Check us out there. Apple Podcasts, wherever. We're all we're, are all over the place. We're going to be on YouTube. Check us out. Leave a like. Make sure you're subscribed. Uh, tell a friend. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye.